electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Eamon Javers in for Brian Sullivan tonight. Right now on Last Call, stocks soar to new records, but a strange coincidence could have investors hitting the sell button. High drama on the moon. There are fast-moving developments on a historic lunar lander mission with one stock making a big move after hours. And holy Reddit, the social media company files to go public, and you're not going to believe what the CEO is pulling in. Unable to connect, AT&T says a massive cell phone outage is finally resolved. So when are we going to find out what caused it? IRS crackdown is a new plan targeting wealthy tax cheats at risk of overreach. Plus, a big ruling comes down over a red-hot AI startup, FTX, and more than a billion dollars. And copy-paste trade, your portfolio can now replicate the top investors in the world thanks to one startup. The CEO of that startup is going to be here tonight. All of that and more over the next hour. Last Call is up right now. And good evening on the East Coast. Good afternoon out West. I'm Eamon Javers. As I say, in for Brian Sullivan tonight. We'll have all that more coming up in our hour. But first up on Last Call, what a day. Four huge market records smashed around the world today. The Dow and S&P 500 closing at new all-time highs, along with Japan's Nikkei and the stock's Europe 600 index. The reason for this global rally NVIDIA and the AI mania sweeping Wall Street. Shares of NVIDIA closed at an all-time high after a blockbuster quarter. The chipmaker notched the best single day for any stock, gaining the most market cap ever, ever. NVIDIA added more than $270 billion in new market cap. That beats the record set by Meta just 20 days ago. Put that gain into perspective here. NVIDIA basically added an entire Bank of America to its market value today. The move by NVIDIA has been incredible, to say the least. It has surged nearly 2,000% over the past five years. It's interesting because the price action resembles that of two other companies you, rem you may remember from back in the day. The first one is Cisco. Between 1995 and 2000, the stock surged more than 20-fold. But then, you remember, the dot-com bubble burst, sending Cisco tumbling. As you can see here in the chart, Cisco never got back to its previous heights. And then there's Amazon. Similar story to Cisco. The stock soared after going public in 97, then fell in 2000. But unlike Cisco, Amazon was able to recoup its losses in eight years and then some. Since the lows of 2001, Amazon has surged as it became an e-commerce powerhouse. So two charts telling two very different tales back in the day. Which one is NVIDIA going to be today? The next Cisco or the next Amazon? 
maybe something else. Let's talk about it with our leadoff market panel. Joining us is senior research analyst at Newberger Berman, Daniel Flax, and the Kobe C. Letters editor-in-chief, Adam Kobesi. Uh, guys, thank you for being here. Dan, two volatile stocks are on the move right now, and we're seeing that uh, play out in the markets as, as we look at all the market action we saw today. I want to start, though, with NVIDIA, this question that every, has, everyone is asking tonight, which is, why is NVIDIA the stock that's dragging the rest of the market up? I mean, it is in a hot space, but it's only one company. Why is this happening, Dan? Good to see you. I think part of what's going on is that the market is seeing that artificial intelligence, the solutions that NVIDIA brings to bear really have important ramifications across a whole host of industries. So for example, uh, healthcare, NVIDIA's uh, AI solutions can help with drug discovery, fraud detection in financial services. It can help model and simulate climate change and, and, and help lead to important uh, uh, discoveries there. And then the, the big transformation of the industrial landscape, really marrying the digital and the physical worlds and, and thinking about all the new growth potential that comes there. So NVIDIA is a story about empowering others. I think you're seeing the company do, do a good job on its product cycles. Its uh, developer community remains vibrant. And we see continued growth over the next one to two years and continue to like the name. So, Adam, let me get your answer to that question, too, because this is the central question of the market today. This stock taking off, beating expectations, shattering records, doing all those things that you just heard Dan talking about. Uh, and yet, you know, there is this question about, is the rest of this market just a mania that's happening in the wake of that exciting news? Or is there something really transformative that's going on now in the economy that justifies the move that we saw today? I mean, look, I think NVIDIA is really the master at evolving its business and its outlook and, and what they do to what markets and to what the industry needs and wants. It started out as a gaming company that we all knew five to 10 years ago. And then it quickly evolved when Bitcoin and crypto mining became, became popular. And now it's AI. And even as we transition from traditional AI to generative AI, NVIDIA continues to be by far the best product. They control over 70% of global AI chips. And also, just about every company in the world will eventually have a piece of NVIDIA if AI continues to expand like it is. So if you're bullish on AI here, it's hard to not be bullish on NVIDIA. And I think um, at the end of the day, I think NVIDIA is doing the right things. I think Ford PE is, is still sub 40, um, where if you can see, you mentioned Cisco, sure. I mean, at the peak of of uh, the dot-com bubble, they had 150-plus times for, uh, price to earnings ratio. If so you're bullish, I like what you're saying, Adam. If you're bullish on AI, it's hard not to be bullish on NVIDIA today. But, Dan, that, the question is, what about the rest of the market, right? I mean, we saw Carvana, we saw Block, two volatile stocks on the move. They're not necessarily in the same space. Both Carvana and Block are soaring after reporting earnings. Carvana, at one point, was a bankruptcy candidate. Block shares are off 75% from its all-time high, despite the recent crypto rally. So do these big moves in names like these outside of the space that NVIDIA is in give you some pause? We look at each each story and each investment uh, selectively. We look at each company from the bottom up and try to think through the growth drivers and, and what the free cash flow generation is over the next two to three years. The, the key, and, and you mentioned the moves in the after hours, is that we're, we're in a very uh, 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 tricky time for the economy but the technology trends, the business model transitions, uh, the, sh the shifts uh, that, that are underway, for example, in, in the payment industry is one example. 
Those are going to continue. They are secular in nature. And so we're looking for stories uh, in the technology industry for sure, and and more broadly, where companies are able to transform themselves and ultimately grow. If you look, for example, at some of the cloud companies, you mentioned Amazon earlier. This is a a story of constant reinvention. The the e-commerce business, Amazon Web Services, which is really a platform that millions can build on. They have an advertising business that's getting bigger. And so it's this idea of reinvention, investment, taking risks, failing quickly and ultimately growing. I think and if you so, can do that, that that creates shareholder value. I think what's so interesting about this Cisco and Amazon, you know, story that we're going back to from the dot-com days is both of those companies, you know, crashed big time. They, they skyrocketed, then they crashed. There was a dot-com wipeout. But both of those companies were absolutely core, real companies with real profits, real, real products that, that made a difference. The internet did change the world, even though we saw that market bubble. Uh, so I guess the question now is, where does NVIDIA shake out in the future if you go forward? And I don't want to belabor this point too much, Adam, but this, we had this strange coincidence today. Take a look at this chart. The NASDAQ 100 hit a new all-time high on a day it gained 3%. The last time that happened, March of 2000. That's according to our friends from Bespoke. Stocks plunged soon after that. So is this an ominous sign for investors that we're getting out over our skis again? I think it's an incredibly dangerous market to, to try and time an exact top. You're better off playing the trend and waiting for a reversal before that happens. And like I said, NVIDIA is the case. Uh, it's kind of like it's it's going up, but it's getting cheaper on a forward uh, price to earnings basis. Their net margins are significantly higher than Cisco was in the 2000s. And also keep in mind, um, we, I mean, NVIDIA just had a 70% correction going into 2022. We're yeah. up off lows. So we might have already had that burst, and then now we're right back up again. It could very well mean that we're in another cycle. We're pushing higher. And I think right now AI has proven it's more than just hype, but it's really changing the world. Adam, Dan, thank you so much. I love the optimism. You didn't fall for the pessimism trap. Up next, it wouldn't be a mission to the moon if there wasn't a little bit of drama. There are big breaking developments on a historic lunar landing tonight with one stock on the move big time plus at long last reddit is officially going public and you're just not going to believe what the ceo of that company is making no matter how much time you spend on reddit it's still a lot stay with us are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Breaking news tonight from space. 
It's official. Intuitive Machines' uncrewed lunar lander Odysseus landed on the moon and is operating. This is the first American moon landing in over 50 years and the first ever for a commercial vehicle. However, it's still unclear if the goals of the mission will be successful. The mission launched on a SpaceX rocket last week. Investors were in for a wild ride watching NASA's live stream of the landing. This just within the past hour, when there was mention of a communications issue, the stock tanked tremendously. Take a look at that moment. We are working to solve a communications, a possible communications uh, challenge in this moment. So we're going to continue to stand by. So there was that moment where we didn't know what was going to happen. The word communications issue kept coming from mission control. But then the sigh of relief from mission control. What we can confirm, without a doubt, is our equipment is on the surface of the moon, and we are transmitting. So congratulations, IM team. We'll see how much more we can get from that. Excellent call from our mission director, MD Dr. Prime Tim Crane, on, uh, and over Go to our Prime. CEO, Steve Altus. Yeah, if I could just pass on a few words to the entire team in uh, Intuitive Machines at Superbab and here in the, here in the uh, mission control. Uh, what an outstanding effort. I know this was a nail-biter, but we are on the, on the surface, and we are transmitting, and uh, welcome to the moon. Houston, Odysseus has found his new home. What a moment. We have never seen a publicly traded company land on the moon before and watch the ticker in real time, the same time we're watching it, watching Mission Control, the stock taking off after you heard that welcome to the moon and exploding now after hours. Take a look at the stock in the after hours trading. Uh, some really dramatic moves here. Now, it's a, it's a small stock, not very heavily traded, but a lot of action over the past couple days. Let's bring in CNBC's Morgan Brennan on this. She's the host of Closing Bell Overtime and the CNBC Manifest Space podcast. Morgan, you are CNBC's expert on all things space. What were you thinking as you watched this moment? The ticker going, the trades going, the lander landing or maybe not landing. I mean, this was some high drama. It was high drama and it really speaks to this new era of commercial space, this emerging new space economy that we talk about so much and we cover on CNBC. And it is pretty fascinating that you can have literally history being made. This is the first time we've seen an American-made spacecraft touch down on the lunar surface in 51 years. And it is the first time ever in history that we've seen a privately owned, a commercial spacecraft uh, owned by a company, in this case, Intuitive Machines, pull that feed off. Just to give you a sense of how much of a nail-biter this was, those minutes of no communication and Mission Control wondering whether uh, this craft had had a quote unquote soft landing, had successfully touched down on the lunar surface. We've seen more than 50 attempts by countries and companies since the early 1960s to land on the moon. The success rate, it's about 50%. So this was a very major feat. And this is the second time we've actually seen a private sector company, a commercial space company, attempt to launch and land a spacecraft on the moon just since the start of this year. Both of them, the first one was astrobotic. It didn't go as planned. But both of these missions that we've seen since the start of 2024 speak to this NASA program of public-private partnerships uh, in this effort to basically drive down the costs of getting American boots uh, back on the lunar surface, which 
this mission tonight takes us one step closer to doing. I mean, such an amazing moment, right? As you watch those cheers break out in Mission Control, during that moment of tension, my heart was just breaking for the teams on Mission Control because you know how long they spend working on these landings, trying to get every detail right. You can't anticipate everything. And then that cheer going up. But how surreal to be watching the tick by tick at the same time and seeing that yeah. traders around the country and around the world are also watching. They're not cheering, they're buying. I know. And the ticker on this, so this company went public via SPAC a year ago. And if you look at a year chart, it's actually been a wild ride for this name. But since the launch, uh, which was a, on a SpaceX, SpaceX Falcon Heavy exactly a week ago, you've seen the stock more than double. The stock is now, especially with the trades we're seeing tonight and after hours, the stock is up 35, 36%. It's trading above its SPAC price. There have been a lot of uh, excitement and anticipation coming into this mission and, and a successful uh, pull off of this mission. What's going to, so just the fact that this lander actually successfully touched down on the moon is a very big feat. What's hopefully, if all goes according to plan, happen now, Eamon, is over the next seven days, it's got six NASA payloads, it's got six private payloads. It's going to be conducting all kinds of experiments. It's actually going to be testing. It's in the South Pole region of the moon. It's going to be testing aspects of the area to see whether this could be a potentially good site to set up a more permanent base uh, for astronauts through the Artemis program in the coming years. Yeah. And the stock tonight, Morgan, dare I say it, on a rocket. Thank you very much to for your moon, expertise. Right? To the moon. Absolutely. The moon. Absolutely. L-U-N-R. That's the ticker. It says it right there. Great night to have your expertise with us tonight. Morgan Brennan, thank you so much. Meanwhile, time for some tomorrow's news tonight. There's a developing story in the media industry. Vice Media will reportedly stop publishing on its website, vice.com. The company is also expected to cut hundreds of jobs. Vice CEO Bruce Dixon telling employees in a memo that it is no longer cost effective to publish on its site. Vice's owner, Fortress Investment Group, had been trying to sell the brand. Dixon did, however, say the company is open to partnering with other media companies to distribute its content. Just another sign of so much of the pain that we're seeing uh, in the media industry right now. Another developing story that we're following. Reddit has filed for an IPO. The social media network intends to list on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker RDDT, last valued at $10 billion. Reddit will be the first social media IPO since Pinterest way back in 2019. Seems like a different world then than it is now. Some numbers shared in its S1 filing. Revenue, mostly from ads, jumped 20% in 2023. But the company still operated at a loss for the year. Reddit gets a lot of traffic, boasting 73 million average daily active unique users flocking to its 100,000 communities like Wall Street Bets and others. Co-founder and CEO Steve Huffman says he's never been more excited about the future of Reddit. He has reason to smile today. His total compensation for 2023 was $193 million. That is a good year, folks. Also revealed in the filing, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman is one of Reddit's biggest shareholders. Here to break it all down is Herb Greenberg from Herb Greenberg on the Street on Substack. Herb, are you on Reddit too? Or just Substack? Yeah, you know, I, no, I, I am not on Reddit. I'm, I, I go to Reddit every now and then because for some reason it's always showing up in the top of my Google searches for whatever right. I search about. But that's about it. Um, so, so what did you make of this S1 today? I mean, we learned a lot 
about the inside uh, uh, operations of this company, a lot about revenue, a lot about expenses. Uh, is this a media company? Is it a social media company? Is it a tech company? Is it NVIDIA? What is it? Well, it's a little bit of everything. I will say uh, what we learned is the management of this company is extraordinarily smart, or at least they chose very smart bankers that waited until the absolute right time to decide <laughs> that they wanted to basically um, uh, uh, go public. Because Today you know, was a good day to go out there with good day, news. What's that? Today was a good day to go out there with good news. It was a great day. In fact, I would argue if NVIDIA hadn't come out with good earnings, would they have done it today? I would suspect not. They would have waited, but they waited to a perfect time because you take the money when the money is there. But what we learned is this, if you really want to hash it out, from those numbers, you could say Twitter's loss is their gain. Because when you look at the advertising dollars, they basically were able to pick up dollars that probably came from Twitter, and they have something special. And what they have is they have focused communities. Advertisers like that. And not only are these focused communities, many of these communities skew a little younger than, say, Facebook or some other social media outlets out there. And advertisers like that. On the flip side, you could argue the more users, the lower the quality and the less activity per user, which means ultimately more garbage. And this will be a harder deal to actually make for them to make money. But the bigger story here that I think they or Wall Street will want to play on is that this is an AI play. Because if you yeah. go through the perspectives, the first thing you see is the talk about that they're using this as a, you know, to train large language models. And that's true. Just one twist. They talk about the revenue they're going to get from that, from licensing that data. However, Eamon, you could argue that most of the free, most of the stuff, they, most of the good, valuable data has already been given away. Yeah. And they're just now starting to license it. And I do wonder if there's a backlash maybe coming from users when they discover that deal with Google to sell that data. Users are saying, hey, wait a second, I posted in my Star Trek group or in my stock group or whatever. I, I didn't want Google to be analyzing that for AI. I didn't authorize that. You just wonder if there's some potential criticism yeah. for that company coming ahead. Her, we got to go, but I really appreciate your expertise on this tonight. Uh, thank you for being here. You're very welcome. And still ahead, Jamie Diamond makes a big move with his shares of J.P. Morgan. We'll have the breaking developments. Plus, the tax man cometh is an IRS crackdown against wealthy tax evaders at the risk of overkill or underkill. Stay with us. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The IRS announcing it's cracking down on wealthy Americans who evade paying taxes and the agency says it could generate a significant sum of revenue. Our very own Robert Frank sat down in a rare interview with IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel, and he joins us now with more. Robert, you and I spent about 20 minutes debating this in the office today and all of the goals here, but tell us what you learned from the IRS Commissioner here. Well, Eamon, IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel saying that one of his chief goals at the IRS is restoring fairness, as he puts it, to the tax system. That means targeting the wealthy and partnerships and large corporations. When I look at what we call our tax gap, which is the amount of money owed versus what is paid, for millionaires and billionaires that either don't file or are underreporting their income, that's $150 billion of our tax gap. There is plenty. Per year? Yes. 
there is plenty of work to be done. Uh, and in doing that work, not only are we going to help the United States' financial situation, but we're also going to build trust that we're not just focusing on middle and low income, the opposite. Yesterday, the IRS also launched a campaign targeting private jet owners. That's when companies and individuals are using their personal, their private jets for personal use, but deducting them as business expenses. There are more than 10,000 corporate jets operating in America today. Many of them, most of them, worth tens of millions of dollars. The depreciation schedule on those is front-loaded all in the first five years. What does that mean? That means when these individuals and companies issue their tax returns, their deduction on corporate jets can be tens of millions of dollars. Werfel said the IRS has already raised nearly $500 million by going after 1,600 millionaires who owe taxes but never pay. You can watch the full interview with IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel on CNBC.com. Timely, timely viewing, Amy, given that it's the middle of tax season. Yeah, people should absolutely watch that. And Robert, you and I were talking about this. As I say, the corporate jet thing is so interesting because it's symbolic, right? Everybody in business either has a corporate jet or wants a corporate jet or desperately resents the people who already have a corporate jet. Uh, you know, so that's get, getting everyone's attention. But you made a point today that I thought was fascinating that there's maybe not enough money for the IRS to really make if they go after that segment. Explain that. Yeah, look, the, the tax gap, in other words, the difference between taxes owed and paid is about $600 billion a year. So, you know, if you, if you think about all of the wealthy together are about 150 of that, that means two thirds of the tax gap is the non-wealthy and private jets is even a tiny, tiny fraction of the wealthy tax gap. So at some point, just math tells you if you really want to close the tax gap, you may have to go below that $400,000 threshold that the IRS and Treasury has said is so important not to break. So maybe not a lot of money get to be gotten by going after those corporate jets, but maybe satisfying for the rest of us who don't have that. Robert Frank, thank you. I appreciate it. We're going to still talk about this, though. Joining me now, economic analyst and columnist at the American Enterprise Institute and CNBC contributor, contributor James Pethokoukis and former Maryland congresswoman and MSNBC political analyst Donna Edwards. Uh, folks, Thank you for being here. I think the way this is going to go is, Jimmy, you're going to say they're, they're cracking down too much and it's terrible. And Donna, you're going to say, no, wait a second, they got to do more. I'm going to put push back on both of you, though, because I think there is something going on here that's fascinating, both politically, socially and economically. Jimmy, let me get your take first. Did I summarize your position completely wrong? Uh, well, I, I don't know. Let me just let me just let me just say my position. My position um, in a way, it kind of hinges off something the IRS commissioner said, which is about restoring sort of faith in the system. And I, listen, I think shrinking that tax gap is important, and I think it's fine for the IRS to use new funding to do that. But if you want to have people have faith in the system, they, it can't be a system that decides to go after politically convenient targets as a symbol of, of unfairness like the owners of corporate jets. Right, but Please, in this that case- That makes me think like it's a rigged system. What they should be going after is is the are people who owe, where the most money is, it's the easiest to get, it's most egregious, not because it's some sort of symbolic target. 
In this case, though, Jimmy, don't you have to go where the money is? I mean, the rich pay the vast majority of the taxes in this country. That's where the money is. If you want to crack down and bring in some revenue to deal with our deficit and debt, you got to go. You got to go where the money is, right? But specifically, did they run a machine learning program that determined the best place to start happens to be the one that you know a lot of people don't like? That would be an amazing coincidence. Congresswoman, let me get you in here on this. Uh, you know, the, the trick with these corporate jets is that accounting for all the travel can be super complicated, right? You know, which trip was personal, which was not? Was it a leg of a trip? How many hours were in the air? How many people were on the plane? All of that is an enormous paperwork burden for businesses who are saying, hey, wait a second. You know, you're just coming after me for more money. Is this oh, fair well, if it's me. not that much money? It, it, look, I, I think it, it's all in the same uh, bucket, that it's a responsibility of these uh, taxpayers who own corporate jets to uh, do that accounting. I think one of the things that has been overlooked in the announcement of this of enforcement is that the IRS is actually using uh, new technology with some of the funding that they've gotten so that they can be more precise in terms of identifying taxpayers to audit. I, I think that the focus on even the announcement of recouping $480 million from 1,600 taxpayers is a really big deal for most Americans who pay their taxes uh, through their payroll taxes. Um, you know, they they know that they have to pay their taxes. And for these other taxpayers who have more complicated uh, tax returns, it's really important for the IRS to get the money where it is. Congressman, what about Jimmy's point, though, right, which is that if you go after sort of a politically expedient group, especially for a Democratic administration, you make it feel like this might be more about politics than it is about money. Well, let's do a reality check. Um, we've had an increase over the last decade of 50 percent more millionaires and a decrease by 80 percent of those who are audited. On the other hand, there's been an increase of auditing of lower income uh, taxpayers. And so it is about restoring fairness. Jimmy, last point to you. I mean, in this debate, you can't really come out against enforcing the law, right? You can't come out against having people pay the taxes that they owe under the law that we have now, right? I mean, I mean, absolutely, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I love law and order. People, yes. I know I, I pay my taxes. Everyone should pay the taxes what they owe. The law should be obeyed. And yeah, for sure, this gap, which is large, should be shrunk. No doubt about it. Okay. Well, we've learned tonight, pay your taxes, follow the law. Thank you to Good both lesson. of you. Coming up, can you hear me now? A major cell phone outage is finally fixed. So why is the FBI getting involved? We're gonna have some answers after this. And welcome back. A quick futures check after this absolutely record day for the S&P 500 and Dow, fueled by NVIDIA's monster post-earnings rally. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ, as you can see, all down marginally, less than a percent. The S&P off uh, just over four. Dow Jones just down 32. Uh, you can see everything there basically 
treading water in the wake of these massive gains that we had earlier today. Meanwhile, AT&T suffered a massive cellular outage today, impacting thousands of users across the country. And according to service tracker Down Detector, the highest number of reported outages come from Houston, Chicago, and Dallas. Outages began around 4 a.m. Eastern time and peaked at roughly 74,000 reported issues by around 9 a.m. The company was able to restore service to all affected customers later in the day, and they apologized for people's inconvenience. Now, despite the fix, AT&T shares fell 2% today. It's still unclear what caused the outage, but the FBI says it has been in contact with AT&T, writing, quote, should we learn of any malicious activity, we will respond accordingly. The Department of Homeland Security and FCC were also looking into the situation earlier today. White House spokesperson John Kirby told reporters, quote, AT&T has no reason to think this was a cybersecurity incident. But again, I want to be careful. We won't know until an investigation has been completed. Joining me now for more on this is former FCC Chairman Ajit Pai. Uh, Ajit, thank you for joining Last Call tonight. I really appreciate uh, your insights here because this was a mysterious one. We saw these reports of outages all throughout the day. And here we are sitting uh, at 7.39 p.m. on uh, the evening after this disaster. And we still don't know what happened here. So first of all, give us your sense. What did happen here? Well, uh, thanks again for having me on, Eamon. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think there's a range of possibilities here from the relatively mundane, albeit unacceptable, uh, such as a router failure, a misconfiguration of software that manages these networks, a fiber cut to the core of the wireless networks, uh, to something malicious, such as a cyber attack, which is what the FBI and others have been adverting to, uh, to literally out of the world uh, possibilities such as a solar flare, which was being discussed on social media. I think the explanation is likely one on the more mundane side of things. And yeah. it sometimes takes time to pinpoint the failure in the network that caused some of these outages. I myself was a victim of the outages. I woke up this morning in Indianapolis to find SOS on my phone. And oh, wow. uh, thankfully I had a Wi-Fi connection, which allowed me uh, to get and send messages. But uh, so I certainly share some of the concern the customers around the country had about this outage. But I think sometimes it'll take time for the company and for the federal government, the FCC, DHS, and perhaps other authorities like the FBI to get to the bottom of this. Let me ask you about that time, because that's the thing that, that I don't understand. And I, I get that this is more complicated than turning it off and turning it back on again, which is what I do whenever I have a tech problem. But AT&T was able to fix this thing today, right? And so shouldn't they be able to tell us what they fixed? I mean, they did something to something. Shouldn't there be an answer as to what that was that got it back up again? That would give you a sense of what went wrong here, wouldn't it? Or is it more, am I just being well, naive? No, I, I think, uh, look, I think that's a natural response for uh, those, especially consumers who are affected by the outages. And again, I was one of them. Uh, but I think sometimes it is tricky to figure out where exactly the failure was. And these are often redundant systems that go down. And so if one system goes down, there are other workarounds. And so it could well be that there are simply uh, workarounds that were pursued. I'll, and you know, the company, uh, in concert with the federal authorities, is still trying to figure out where the actual failure was. So, uh, you know, I do think that these things sometimes take time. When I was the chairman of the FCC, there were a number of outages where uh, you know, the, sometimes the cause wasn't obvious in the first couple of hours uh, or even the first day of the incident. It takes some time to really figure out these networks. These are exceptionally complex uh, networks, these wireless networks are. And so 
Uh, yeah. yeah, I think the facts will come out in time. Last very, very quick question for you. You said you tend to lean toward the mundane explanations. Are you taking a cyber attack completely off the table now or not entirely? No, no, I'm certainly not. And I'm glad that uh, the federal authorities, the FBI, I think the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency at DHS is involved. And so, you know, certainly don't want to rule that out. But based on the reporting that has been produced to date, including the quote, which you just uh, replicated from the White House, uh, you know, that is not one of the things that has been pinpointed yeah. thus far anyway as a cause of the outage. Certainly hope it's not that, uh, you know, much better for it to be something more mundane, of course. Uh, but, yeah. you know, we wanted to go where the facts lead us in all these types of situations. Ajit Pai from the FCC, formerly from the FCC. Thank you so much for your insight this evening and I hope your phone is better tomorrow. Meanwhile, let's get a look <laughs> at our quicker than the ticker segment. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. The weight loss drug market boosting U.S. GDP. According to new estimates from Goldman Sachs, the market could increase by 10 to 70 million users by 2028. 30 million users could increase GDP by 0.4%. 60 million users could increase GDP by 1%. Another airline hiking checked bag fees. JetBlue raising the price for checked bags by $10 if the purchase is made less than 24 hours before departure. The current cost is $35 for the first checked bag and $50 for the second. Swiper, no swiping. An injured fox in England stealing an animal rescuer's phone. The rescuer was initially called to help the fox and set up their phone to record the interaction. The fox took the phone and ran. Thankfully, it ended up dropping it in some bushes nearby. Giant pandas are coming back to the San Diego Zoo. Two new pandas will be loaned to the zoo. This is the first time China has granted new loans to the U.S. in two decades. The San Diego Zoo returned its last two pandas back to China in 2019. And that's some good news right there. I love pandas. Coming up, a very different kind of AI frenzy, and it involves one of Silicon Valley's hottest startups, FTX, and more than $1 billion. Right, go ahead. Time for a bonus edition of Tomorrow's News Tonight. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon has sold more than $150 million worth of stock in the bank, or roughly 800,000 shares. That's according to a new SEC filing. It's the first time that Dimon has sold shares in the bank since becoming CEO in 2005. The news, not a huge surprise, though. Back in October, Diamond and his family announced they were intending to sell one million of their $8.6 million shares in the bank. That's a lot of shares, no matter how you look at it. And it's no secret that AI is fueling the tech market. Just look at NVIDIA. And now shares of one of AI's hottest startups are gearing up for a big sale. CNBC's Kate Rooney has the details. Hey there, Kate. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, so the collapse of crypto exchange FTX is now giving tech investors another shot at getting a slice of one of the buzziest AI startups out there, Anthropic. 8% of that startup is now owned by the bankrupt crypto exchange and company FTX. That purchase was made by the founder of FTX. You may have heard of him, Sam Bankman-Fried. He was found guilty of fraud and siphoning customer money to invest in startups, including Anthropic. And despite some pushback from customers of FTX, a bankruptcy court in Delaware decided today that that stake can indeed be sold and used to pay back customers and creditors. Some of Anthropic's numbers are redacted in these filings, but FTX's stake based on Anthropic's last reported valuation is worth 
an estimated $1.4 billion. It's roughly tripled in value since SBF, as he's known, invested back in 2022. That was before the release of OpenAI's ChatGPT and then the subsequent arms race in AI funding. The bankruptcy team's goal, they say, is to fetch the highest price here. They expect to sell shares at a profit, but they say it will the company will retain flexibility to sell shares at the, quote, most optimal and appropriate time. Eamon, we'll see when that is. Kate, I got to ask you, of all the things that Sam Bankman-Fried, he was in a frenzy of activity before his downfall, was this investment in Anthropic like the single best thing that he actually ended up doing? That is the takeaway, Eamon. I think it was, <laughs> if he did anything right, it was investing in Anthropic. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, he did, had a massive venture portfolio. A lot of those investments were in cryptocurrency startups that have not seen yeah. nearly the run-up as you know we've seen in AI. So this actually, one, funny enough, Eamon, the yeah. reason he got introduced to these guys was because of his effective altruism stance and that whole movement. That The, the whole goal was to make as much money as he can, to give it all away. He met the founders of Anthropic. And uh, it's kind of given a stain to that movement because of what's yeah. happened with Sam Beckman-Fried. So, well, full look, circle. Well, the investment panned out well for him. The rest of it, not so much. Exactly. Kate Rennie, thanks so much. Thanks, David. And straight ahead, following the world's top investors has never been easy until now. One startup aims to change the game for investors, and its CEO is going to be right here. Plus, during February, we're celebrating Black Heritage. Here is Isama Gibbs, JetBlue VP of Corporate Social Responsibility and DEI, sharing their story. Our contributions to the world are significant. And you don't know where you're going unless you can look back and see where you come from. And so celebrating Black History Month allows everybody to understand, celebrate, and recognize the rich contributions that African Americans have made in the United States, but that Black people in general have made to the world. And welcome back, everybody. We all know retail investing has been exploding in recent years, and new data shows more Americans are starting to invest at even younger ages. Get this. According to Charles Schwab, custodial accounts for teens ages 13 to 19 years old have jumped since 2019. My next guest just debuted a new app to help capture some of those younger investors. It's called Dub, and it's the first ever copy trading platform. It lets you replicate the portfolios of famed hedge funds, politicians, and we know how well they trade, and even top social media influencers in just one tap. Dub just raised $17 million in funding and has the backing of major players like Uber CEO Dara Kashwari, Robinhood's uh, co-founder uh, Nathan Rodland, Andreessen Horowitz general partner Alex Rampell, and CNBC contributor and risk reversal CEO Dan Nathan, among a long list of others. VC investor and CEO of Tusk Venture Partners Bradley Tusk was the first to invest. Joining me now is founder and CEO Stephen Wang. Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Explain how this new app Dub works, works, because there's a social element to this investing that you're doing with your customers, which I think is really interesting. Eamon, first, thank you for having me tonight. It's an honor to be here. And it's actually very simple. So with copy trading, basically, you can either copy someone else's trades automatically or you can be the person that gets copied. Essentially, how a portfolio works when you copy it, it's very similar to an ETF. It's a basket of stocks. If you copy that portfolio and someone's trading that portfolio, you get all their trades automatically. And this is really based on this incredible trend in retail investing, like you just mentioned, that we've witnessed over the past 10 years. Because of the rise of social media, because of the rise of commission-free investing, 
interesting with Robinhood, the way that we deployed capital is no longer seen by a bunch of screens. It's really following influential people and ideas. But we've seen how dangerous that can be over the past couple of years. We've saw crypto meme stocks with GameStop, Kathy Wood even being down by 60% in 2022. Yeah. There needs to be more transparency in the system and this new consumer behavior copying others. And that's really what we've built. So users looking at your app on the phone, they can just tap and say, hey, I, I like what Kathy Wood is doing. I'm going to follow her. Yeah. And then what happens next? It's a simple single tap. The same way you invest $10 in Tesla, you can take $10 to copy Kathy Wood, Eamon Javers, or anyone that's Don't on do the that platform. One. That one's not going to get you any money. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah right. Who knows? So here's, here's my question about this, because there is this social element to it. But the yeah. data stream that you're using yeah. is based on public disclosures of these people's investments, mm. right? And those public disclosures lag, yeah. right? So you're going back months in terms of what yeah. the investments were. If I want to follow what Kathy Wood's investments are. Yeah. I don't want to follow what Kathy Wood was doing in December. Exactly. I want to know what she was doing today yeah. on Thursday. Yeah. And you can't mirror that with yeah. the publicly disclosed well, data. So how do you work around that? That's actually the beauty of the platform. It's almost like eBay for, for, for investing. We don't want to actually control what portfolios are made on the platform. Anyone can make a portfolio. So today we do have, and we've curated an all-star list of investors, like former hedge fund and current hedge fund managers that place like Millennium Management, or these top social media influencers on X that have hundreds of thousands of followers that are known for their investing skills, and they create these portfolios. So for someone that made a portfolio that's copying maybe Kathy Wood or Nancy Pelosi, um, they're trading at their own discretion. So it may be following some of these filings, but then they're taking their skill to copy them. So there's an additive piece that you there's, have to add. You can't just copy additive. somebody and write it. Exactly. And that's where you're trusting this person that is an investing sort of uh, person and personality that you're following. And that's the beauty of sort of re really where we want to take this, right? We want to bring trust and transparency back into the system. And we've done this by curating a great all-star set of investors to start. But down the line, the kid in his mom's garage that's really good at investing could become the next all-star. And we believe 10 years from now, people will no longer be picking stocks. So they should be picking people to copy. I'm We've done. got almost no time left. I hate to do this, but yeah. give me your whole bio in 10 seconds. You, you dropped, uh, out recently dropped out of Harvard to do this, um, right? Uh, and I dropped out of high school to sell my first company. I worked for Apple for a little bit, and I dropped out of Harvard again to start my second company. And this is it. We're, I think we're at the precipice of a new paradigm and a new movement, and we're creating something that's phenomenal. So to all the Robinhood, TD, Schwab investors that are out there that don't know how to navigate these markets today, I ask you, come give Dub a try. Find someone that you can trust with your investments. All right, there's your sales pitch. Are you going to go back to Harvard if it works out? Uh, hopefully, I'm where I've in those company a couple of years, and we'll be going back for honor. I love the optimism. Thanks so much for being here, Stephen. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Amy. And that's it for Last Call for tonight. Shark Tank, coming up next. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.